Welcome to episode 205 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. March 9th, 2020 became clear the world was about to change in drastic ways. Events were beginning to be canceled or postponed and a few were moving quickly online. For over a decade, I had been working to establish my credibility as a networking expert. I was best known for my croissants versus bagels concept, which became the title of the book I published in 2017. The concept is about body language and how a small shift can make us more approachable. I demonstrated this concept in 2019 in a TEDx titled, Hate Networking, Stop Bageling, and Be the Croissant. I'd been a guest expert on dozens of podcasts, virtual summits, and private webinars talking about relationship-based business strategies. I've been written about in multiple books, including Dory Clark's standout, How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. Each day that week in mid-March, more events were canceled, postponed, or moved online. By March 11th, I was struggling with how I could, quote, show up and add value in a world that no longer valued the skills that I had so carefully developed. Who needed to know about body language and handshakes when we were not supposed to even gather in groups anymore? My peer mastermind kicked my butt a bit that day and helped me realize there were ways I could still add value. The next day, I wrote and shared nine ways to network in a pandemic and then decided I needed to do one of those suggestions which led to me hosting my first free weekly virtual happy hour on Friday, March 13th. Fast forward to early July, when I was recognized as a, quote, industry expert in the field of digital event design by JDC Events. How did that happen so quickly? Continuous improvement. Over 500 people have attended my free weekly No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hours. 30 people have been certified, hashtag No More Bad Zoom, through the 5% Advantage program, which helps presenters grow in their confidence with Zoom, online facilitation, and virtual event design. And as a virtual event design consultant, I'm working with several clients to help them bring their one-day conferences online this fall. Here a challenge for this week. I wasn't trying to become a digital event expert at first. I just wanted to keep getting better. The first time I used breakout rooms for an event was March 20. And by May, I was teaching a four-week experiential program to help presenters improve their Zoom game. You can quickly establish credibility in this new online world if you aim to get 5% better every time you host or present an online event. Find any reason to practice, including hosting sessions with friends to test out new features. Invest in yourself and your business by getting certified hashtag no more bad Zoom through the 5% Advantage program. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest is a whirling dervish of action, energy, and results. For 20 plus years, she's been developing sales strategies and delivering customized sales training to companies nationwide across virtually every industry and in firms ranging in size from solopreneurs to Fortune 500 organizations. She's also the author of The Blatant Truth, 50 Ways to Sales Success, and her byline can be found in many business and trade publications. 
She's a powerhouse when it comes to networking, gathering contacts and connections wherever she goes, and then proactively and eagerly connecting people together. She thinks in terms of synergies and alliances and opens doors where you would least expect them to be open. She believes networking is a circular adventure, not a linear activity. She looks for the endless possibilities that exist in a wide circle of connections and then helps facilitate contacts and meetings and helps people to join hands and see the opportunities that lie ahead. For this reason, she created Adrian's Network, an immensely successful business networking community that regularly hosts highly facilitated gatherings. Please join me in welcoming Adrian Miller. Thank you so much. Adrian, such a pleasure to have you on here. And as you know, this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? So I define leadership um, with a couple of key words. The first one is vision, to be able to see something um, bigger than yourself because leadership often, well, not often, always implies you'll be, you'll be leading someone, some people, a group, 10 or 10,000 or 10 million, but not just yourself. So uh, first word is vision. Second word is passion, because leading a group of 10, 10,000 or 10 million, you, you need to be passionate because it's hard work. And you need to have a certain degree of tenacity and stick-to-itiveness, both of which um, align best when you have passion. And sheer old-fashioned, perhaps overused word, but I can't help but use it almost every day, is the word grit. I just think that is the quality that people have that help them to be successful at anything they do. And leadership is just one of those things that they accomplish. All right. So vision, passion, and grit. I love this. I love that I have been doing this now for four years and I keep hearing new twists on this question, which goes to show you that leadership is what we but we make it. And I do think though, these are some really good key ingredients to have. You have to have a, a sense of where you're going, a passion for it. So people will really willing to follow that. And then the grit to persevere despite all obstacles that come your way. I mean, um, when in your life did you start to realize you had some of these skills or this potential for you? Nursery school. Seriously, I was... <laughs> I love it. And it sounds such a glib response, but, but I, I, you know, I think back and I was one of those people that, that felt that I saw a bigger picture for what we could do on the playground. And I was passionate about that game and I wanted you to, to follow me. So, because it wasn't fun to do hopscotch alone and I needed, I needed a team and things like that. And, and moving forward, um, I think it came to me also, I think leaders um, have to work hard and, and it has to be an innate quality. Um, you can learn how to work hard. You can take a course on how to work hard. You, but I think for some people, it, it, it's just ingrained in their soul. And it's always been ingrained in my soul. So that um, once I realized that, and then 
anything, you know, that passion came out naturally. It seemed like I could get people to follow me and, and be interested in what I was persuasively communicating to them. Because that's another, another word that good leaders are being persuasive, you know? And so starting back when I was very young, and I know that's the glib answer, but all the way through, I always felt that it was easier and more fun for me to lead it than to follow it. I may not be a good follower. <laughs> but fortunately, you've attracted good followers. That's key. <laughs> so yeah. I, I know it, it may be a glib answer, but I also really, really appreciate that you have um, such a strong sense of yourself and, and could share that because I can't tell you how many people have answered with business school, law school, grad school, first job. And I'm like, what happened in grade school when you're on the playground? Here you are going right to nursery school, you know, like you're like, boom, you know, a few years old. So, um, but I, but I can totally see that. And I, I wonder though, as you were, as you were growing up, as you're still, you know, in, in grade school, in high school, were you, were you seeking out formal leadership roles or did you just feel, you know what, I can make this impact regardless. And, you know, if I say it, people are going to follow me. So a combination of both. Um, formal leadership roles in terms of being the, you know, president of the fill in the blank um, or the head of this committee. And, and I always like being the head of the committee because then seriously, I am a um, fairly plain speak kind of person. You know what happens on committees? People say, I want their, their hand gets thrust up immediately and then they don't do anything. They don't do anything. They, they're, they're on a committee and they're like, use, hate to say it, useless. And so my, my mantra is please don't raise your hands if you don't want, honestly want to, to be an active participant. Because if you're not an active participant and you're on my committee, I'm going to call you out on it. Because why are you here? What are we doing? I'm taking extra time, taking you into consideration, and yet you're not doing anything. So I was starting early. I thought I was a better person because I was always willing to be real active. And then, of course, I always also thought that some of my ideas might be better, etc. And I'm, it sounds like I'm really all full of myself, and I'm not. And I'm so happy to have a leader that is strong and committed and take charge and has the vision and will do it. And thankfully, I do know a bunch of those now. And I am happy to sit and follow them and, and ride on their coattails, if you will, actively, of course, but let them have that big vision for what's going on and the passion to carry it forward. But back then, I didn't trust so much. And I, and I think I was a little skeptical because I saw too many things. Um, you know, we're gonna, the team project at the end of the year, oh, my gosh. It was just so much yeah. easier oh. to do that. It's painful. Everyone has that painful memory of I know. getting together at night with those people and not being able to do it. Yeah, we have to learn how to do it, right? So when you were speaking about committees, I always thought committees are where good ideas go to die. That's right. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, a good Yeah, person. right. Now, uh, were there any um, role models for you, people that you looked up to um, when you were younger who were like really good leaders in your community or in your family? Oh, so a lot of what I 
do and a lot of what people give me props for doing now, I am going to circle back to my mother. And it's really odd to tell you the truth because my mom wasn't, you know, this powerhouse businesswoman. She was not, uh, you know, uh, the first female CEO of this or something like that. Um, she had a job, but it was kind of a, uh, she was a bookkeeper. And, um, but what she was, was a single mom and became a widow at 38 with a very rebellious, mouthy daughter and left very young by a young husband who did not leave this big estate. She had a hustle. And she had to make it all work. And this was way before we had the little support groups online and the parents groups in your community and all of those things and make it work. Just put, keep it all together, keep it together at work. And at that point in time, you were the person who ran home and got dinner and did all that stuff and figure out how to pay for things and 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 I don't think I ever really gave her at that point the respect for being able to keep all those balls in the air. It took me many, many years for me to go, oh wow, I'm I'm so impressed that she was able to do this, frankly, with as much grace as she did. I think doing all that was a lot harder back then, you know, I really, really, really do. So she, she comes bubbling up to the top automatically and other people in my community, not so much. I think it was as I got more into the business world and started doing my thing that there, all of a sudden there were people who impressed the heck out of me in their, in their leadership and in their ability to a mass community and, uh, and do it in my mind then so seamlessly and easily. You know, I, I love that you're bringing up these memories of your mom. I, I think we never can give, give enough appreciation <laughs> to the parents and, and what they did, particularly when, uh, when they're trying to hold it all together. I mean, it doesn't seem like something easy even today. And as you said, it was even harder back then. Um, as you're, as you're kind of moving through your schooling and into your first years of your career, I mean, you ended up being this amazing sales expert, you know, training everybody and like, you know, really embracing sales and sales and, and relationships and networking all kind of go hand in hand. But I imagine that's not where you started. So when you were going through school, like what were your first thoughts that you were, what, what was your trajectory in your mind of where you were headed? Oh, I was going to be an urban planner. Yeah, I was, I was getting a master's in urban planning um, in Boston, as a matter of fact. Um, and I, um, I don't know, that, that kind of fell apart. I got disenchanted and um, I, I went into, I, took a, I took, started taking advanced degree in marketing. And how the sales thing happened was I took a job as like a, a, a junior salesperson. Um, in an ad agency, I was really, really good at it. And I know why I was good at it because I, I do love people and I'm a relationship person and I'm, I'm interested in hearing about you and I want to know about the backstory and I ask tons of questions. And that's what really good salespeople do. Um, 
you, if you ask the right questions um, and in such a way that people don't feel like they're being interrogated, um, you will get everything you need to know to make a sale. Or you will we'll realize you're not going to be able to make the sale because the sale isn't worthy for them. There, there's no improvement. And you should be walking away from that anyway because you want to feel good at the end of the day. But I did all of that very, very naturally. And um, so I rose up the ranks and I, uh, all good things happened. And then I started my own company. And I started my own company for a lot of personal reasons. It worked more for my lifestyle, etc. I thought that was going to be this little this little um, kind of gap year, and then I was going to go back and take a job. Lo and behold, after my gap year, I had all these clients and all this stuff going on, and I said, well, maybe this will go on another year or two. So P.S., the story is, is it's been going on for a lot longer than that networking was something that I also came to fairly easily just because I like people. I'm naturally conversational. I'm really, I really am interested. And I, I like, I think in another lifetime, I was probably um, a matchmaker. (laughs) I put people together. I don't put them together because they say, do you know, uh, I put them together because I say they both like collecting wine or, they're, they ha- they deal with the same market, but they don't do the same job. So shouldn't they know each other and be able to make introductions for each other? And I don't feel I'm connecting you forever. And you t- I connect you to someone you don't really bond with. That's okay. That's fine. You know, it's a, we're, not, we're not making you, it's not a forced marriage. So um, that, that comes very comfortably to me. So the intersection of networking and sales consulting and sales training is enormous. I mean, it, it goes hand in hand because I can't be doing training. First of all, I fall in love with my clients. I fall in love with their products and services. And then of course I recommend them to people because I can't not. It's like, okay, gotta, gotta introduce you to these people. You're making me laugh because um, I, I talked to um, someone I interviewed. Her name is Stephanie Chung. And uh, that was episode 39. So we're going back to 2017. <laughs> it's a long time ago. So, um, and Stephanie Chung is uh, a high ticket sales closer. That's her current sort of description. But she learned her craft selling private jets. And she's a woman of color and she's not a pilot. And I was so impressed by her story because that's, you know, all about relationships. And so from that, one of the lessons I learned, I always tell people when I talk to my clients when I'm coaching them about like getting over their nervousness around this. It's like, if you approach selling and networking as if you were selling private jets, what would you do? You wouldn't walk in a room and start spraying and praying your business card around. You wouldn't spam people on an email list. You know, all the bad negative practices that just really don't work. You wouldn't, you wouldn't like force people into something by like, you know, hoodwinking them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you would be like, you know, you really need this. It's going to save your life. And, and then it not be true. It, it has to be a match. It has to be something they need and exactly in the moment they need it and have all the features and all the benefits. So it, it cracked me up to, to hear, you know, you're talking about sort of how you developed your skills, that a lot of it was very natural and that it fit, it fit a sort of your personality, but you're able to, I mean, a lot of people, they think of sales, they don't think of any of the things you just described, right? They think of the like, sort of like, you know, if you had to rank after um, death and, uh, well, I guess it's after speaking and uh, 
public speaking and then death, right? Then, then there's probably sales. <laughs> Absolutely. It's something that still has such a negative connotation. It really, really does. And I sort of feel bad about that because I feel that salespeople are solutions providers, okay? And it's a combination of having a product or service that meets the individual's needs and wants. And I believe want actually trumps need. And, and here's why. Um, I would never, and I'm, I'm not a Mel DeMarco, so it's not like I have 9,000 pair of shoes, but probably I would never have to buy another pair of shoes the rest of my life. I don't wear out my shoes. What am I, where am I walking? I mean, even when I walk a lot, when I, when we're outside and not in quarantine. Um, so, but I want, we, we tend to lean in much more to the word want. And I catch myself when I say to something, say to someone I need, and it's like, no, you don't. I actually probably need nothing, nothing, but I want, and that's, you know, why I make my little foray onto Amazon. Sometimes I, I want another pair of um, leggings to jog in. I don't need them. I have plenty. You know, even if I want, there's, there's plenty, but I wanted them. Want Trump need that day? Clicked and bought. So we, we have to play a little bit on the want also. And the, 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 that's, such a, that's such a sophisticated sell that jet sale, you know, the, the want and the need and the, um, it, it, it saves time, but it, it's a status thing. It's so many ways to be presenting that. It's fabulous. I love it. I love it. Um, the fact that she's effective and incredibly successful at it is all, all the best, really best. I love right, it. Right. Right. It's like great, great proof. If you can do that, I think you can kind of do anything. And we all could handle our own products and services with that level of thought and listening. Um, so at, w- at what point did, what was that gap year? Like how many years ago was that gap year where you thought, oh, well, God. I think I'll take a break. Yeah. So the gap year coincided with the birth of my second son, who's 33. <laughs> Just a year off. <laughs> I was going to take a year off because I was I I, I was doing so much travel and I, and I it just was very chaotic and um so yes I, I at that time I thought when my children were one year old and three years old they would be old enough I don't know what I thought they would be old enough to do what I bet they're old enough but then obviously I became uh, more knowledgeable as a parent and realized gee a one year old isn't old enough to do much of anything so um, yeah and it was it was it's been great it's really been great I. I really love what I do. I love every time someone asks me, because I have multiple businesses and someone asks me, well, which one? You work so hard. Which one would you give up? I, I never can do It's like giving up a kid. Which one would you give up? Surely there are some days you like one of your kid kids more than another. I only have two and there's and they're adults, but there are definitely days when I like more one more than the other. One gives me more grief. One is more drama or whatever. Um, so yeah, there are days that I like one one of my businesses more than another. But at the end of the day, I love them all, and they all feed me, and they have such synergies that I can't even imagine disconnecting really from any of them. And I think all of them make me a better person. So why would I ever want to lose right. that? For sure, I'd love to tease out a little bit that at the beginning, thirty three years ago, when you thought you were just doing this for a short while. 
were you thinking about this as a business or is this sort of more like, oh, I'll just pick up a few gigs. I'll just, I'll just sort of see where I go with this. There wasn't the word gig unless you were a jazz, a jazz That's true. musician. Yeah, no, you weren't. There was no gig, no gig culture. Uh, and I'm not a jazz musician. Um, no, I thought I was, I, I got business cards. I actually have a, a tax ID number. I did all that stuff right from the get go. Um, I don't have a, I didn't have a business plan or anything like that, but I set up an office it was not as equipped as it is because we didn't have the technology that we have. So I didn't have all the, all of that stuff, but I had everything they had, I had, and I always knew that it was a business and it wasn't, a, it wasn't this gig. And so my, my same childcare situation I had when I was in the city 12 hours a day, which was at that time a, a full-time live-in housekeeper, was my full-time live-in babysitter nanny person. She was there and I just disappeared. My kids were young enough that once you closed the door, they had no idea where you were. So they probably thought I was in the city. Um, and I kept that going for a while. <laughs> I really did. It's amazing. Um, and And just... And it was a business. I it's not like I didn't. I thought it was just gonna, I was like I pick up some gigs. I, I had more like um, I was more aggressive about myself, and I held myself to a pretty high level. And I went after very. I got very sizable accounts at the very beginning through my contacts. Ah, all the way back. So my first two jobs, my first two clients. Remember. I'm a solopreneur. I'm a really young woman. I really don't have a track record of that, the sales stuff. But my first two clients that I work with were Ziff Davis and Time Magazine. Why? Huge companies, because I had contacts who worked there. I was able and and not not contacts that I you know were calling in and was like hey can I sell you this and or can I sell you that and even if you, you don't want either you got to take one, but really trying to get you know talking about them I pivoted I didn't use that word either I don't think anyone ever did that then um, I had this company this is the services I was going to be providing and was providing they knew me they knew my competency they knew I wouldn't I really would not allow myself to fall on my face. And what about it? Was there some area that they thought I could add some value? They brought me in. Both of them turned out to be very long-term gigs, really, big, and were big companies and, and paid their bills and, and had budgets, which enabled me to keep moving on and um, get and and for that, it's funny, at the earliest part of my career, my clients were my biggest companies because I was parlaying relationships that I had internally in those companies? And did I become a consultant standardized over the whole global company? Of course not. I still couldn't do that now because I wouldn't have the resources to do the job. But I, I, I just slid right in there. So people, you know, the cliche, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Makes it sound, sound kind of dirty, but it really is. It's your relationships within organizations. Actually, I'll go back one other thing. When I worked real, real, real before I started my company um, and I wanted to switch jobs, I wrote letters to 10 of the most senior people in ad agencies and wrote this kind of disarming letter that I actually really wasn't looking for a job. And 
but I knew how knowledgeable they were. And I was wondering if they would spend 20 minutes with me just sharing some of their thoughts and expertise. 10 out of 10 replied to me. Wow. Absolutely. We'd love to do that. People love to talk about themselves. Absolutely. Yes, that's true. Back then, there wasn't as much opportunity to be crowing about yourself as what happens now on all the social media platforms and all the opportunities to do things. Back then, you really didn't have that many opportunities. Wow. Okay. There is so much good stuff here, Adrian, that I want to unpack a little bit. One is before you even left that job, you already been building these relationships, building these connections, um, and that you weren't doing it because you knew there was going to be a need in the future. You were doing it because these were people in your network. And I had um, Jordan Harbinger, episode 94, and he talked about his network is sort of an insurance policy that, you know, he, he don't buy insurance hoping to use it. And he wasn't investing in his in his network to hope that one day he would really, really need to lean on them. But then it just so happened that he had to restart from scratch and he was so bummed. And then as he started to rebuild, people sort of swarmed to help him. And his, his restart was bigger than the way he had left it. And, you know, it's like that. It's like, you know, you, you, all the favors, all the things, all the generosities that he had sort of shared with people, all the ways he'd supported and boosted other people. So you were sort of doing that again, inherent to you, sort of like a who you are. And then suddenly you were in this moment. So of course the no like and trust factor kicked in, you know, and I will just say, it's not just who you know, what you know, that, that paradigm. But I heard someone say, it's who knows what you know. And so you had to make an effort to make sure they knew about this shift that you were making, yeah, which wasn't but, called a pivot back then, but was yeah. essentially. I didn't think that word existed either. That I love the insurance policy. Uh, it, right. No one has insurance with the host. Well, I hope I have a tornado and I hope I get in a car accident. I'm like, please, if, I hope I drive for 50 years and I never, ever, ever have to file a claim. That would be the great, greatest. I use the word community a lot more than group. I, I try to actually keep myself away from saying networking group. Not that there's any word wrong, anything really wrong with it, and not that I don't have the highest level of respect for a lot of groups that are out there. But for some reason, the word community has a different feel for me, and so I and I want us to feel like a community. I do really want us to feel like a community and deal with each other as such. Well, I would love to hear a little more of the origin of Adrian's network because that's the other way people know you. If they don't know you as the sales trainer, they know you from this. And you, because of this, because it is such an amazing community, people have helped each other along the way. You know, it's not just how people come to you, but they can find each other uh, and it's grown. And, you know, looking at your site and everything you're doing and you've made the shift with virtual as well. But what, what was like the sort of uh, origin story of, of how that got started and formalizing it. Yeah, that was, that's easy. I remember it exactly because I was, I used networking a lot to grow my business, get my sales training, get writing opportunities, et cetera. Um, and then I found myself doing a lot of it, so much of it. And as we had the economic uh, recession in 08, 09, I was doing way more because clients were getting um, nervous. They were putting a hold on training because they said, and this is a quote, it was real, social media was starting to grow. Well, maybe we'll hold on social and what we will 
put um, we'll put some of our money into um, social media. We're not going to do training. We're going to put it in social media, and uh, and that's free. So I don't even have to say, you know, it's like, oh, my God, this is not really going to work. But all right. So I was doing too much of it, feeling that there were too many rules, <laughs> the leader, too many rules in the groups. And even though in two groups, I was the president of the groups, I still couldn't make unilateral decisions because there was a board and a lot of it seemed stupid to me. So I said, I'm going to try, I'm going to set up a group. I'm going to set it up different. And if it works, great. If it doesn't work, what did I lose? nothing, put in a, put on a website, um, start with 10 or 15 charter members who were like my tribe. And would, you know, I'd say, Hey, you're going to be in a group, right? And, yeah, of course. And that would be that and see what happened. And we just started to grow very organically. Um, and we started out virtual. This is so weird. I feel like I'm now I'm like really cutting edge. We started out virtual and then people said, we want to have meetings. So, okay, we're going to have meetings. Um, but we have a lot of other add-on things to our community that makes it incredibly unique and, and different than mo- other models out there. It's been awesome. It's been a very strong um, value add for a lot of people in terms of how they can market. There have been a lot of people who have done lots and lots and lots of business deals um, people use our, our community as a way to just um, every month do their monthly spotlight. So their visibility and their recognition goes out to the, the community at large, who can then spread it further and further. So it started born out of my dissatisfaction from all the groups I was in, networking too much and enjoying it too little. Yeah. So. Um, I, I can relate on so many levels to this. So um, I didn't mention this earlier, but I have a two and a half and four and a half year old. And I've been uh, home with my kids since a year, well, a year before my oldest was born is when I started working from home. So I, I was a primary caretaker for the first four years. And then my wife started working from home about a year ago. So now you know, she's actually taking the lion's share these days because I'm working more and more. And I, by the way, my office is a little further down the hall and you close the door and the kids don't know, right? <laughs> like it's like doors locked. But right. um, my wife and I were trying to do some stuff around baby clothing swaps, like, you know, sharing, creating community. And it was important to me. So before I even had a kid, I started a group to find other parents. Well, I'll just fast forward and tell you that um, at the point in March when we had to stop hosting them, we've been hosting in-person events for four years a monthly event that had, now we have over 7,500, close to 8,000 members uh, in a Facebook community. And we were getting like 200 families in a room. So all because all the stuff that I had shown up to, I thought, gosh, really? (laughs) It could be done so much better. And now my wife and I are the only moderators for this group of thousands and thousands of people, but no more committees, things just get done. And everyone benefits. And like they all make their connections and everyone's sharing. And it's been such a blessing in this environment where people have so little. So your instinct to like, I could just do this. Let me just try this. Like I didn't, you don't start out with the plan for it to grow so big. So I have a couple of questions about Adrian's network in particular. One is about the type of people you attract and the type of activities that people really were like, this is what I'm looking for. This is what was missing in my life that they, they come to because of what you do. 
It's a mix. It's mostly owners of businesses, a lot of service providers, B2B, but also some B2C and um, owners of, they may be solopreneurs. It may be up to 20, 30 people. We also have the um, business development reps and revenue producers in much larger organizations. So a business banker, financial advisor, some lawyers who are in large law firms, but you know, um, in a lot of those situations, you kind of eat what you kill. So (laughs) that's how, that's how it works. And, um, Many of our people are in other groups, many or have just those have kind of um, eased away and now they're just with Adrian's network activities. Oh, gosh. So before we lock down, because now we have even more um, of these Zoom things every week, we have multiples and some will have speakers and educational speakers, some won't, but there'll be two or three. When we started the first month, we had four a week, it was 16 Zooms in a month. Yeah. So we in regular times, we do have um, four in-person meetings a month, uh, two in Manhattan, two or three in Manhattan, and two on Long Island. And we have four virtual calls a month also. So we have those. And then we have a group that goes to the theater together. And then we have um, dinner, power partner dinners. And then we had, but and I sort of want to start it again um, now that everyone's so comfortable with Zoom because before it was uh, too many people who were like still trying to get, you know, log in and the book, it was a book club and the book club was over while they were still trying to log in. And we have a beach party, um, not this summer, I don't think, but we have a beach party and we have a mastermind group that meets. I love the offsites. We meet at someone's fabulous vacation home up in the Hudson Valley. And we really do a, a fabulous deep dive because we are all, we're close with each other now. So the, the, the little bit of nervousness and reticence about talking about your challenge, it has been um, uh, minimized to a degree. Um, I'm up for doing almost anything and trying it. And if it gets some legs, I am willing to run with it like crazy. Um, We've done sessions where it was um, Adrian's version of TED Talks and where people would come and do an an informational session and we would video them. We've done that. Um, I try not to have the format of the meetings be the same all the time. I know there that works for some groups, but I am there and it would not work for me. I would go into automatic pilot and I lose focus. So I mix it up. Um, people walk into a conference room and we do not go around the table because my feeling is if we're going around the table, you start to listen when it gets to be your turn and people are like writing their you know, shopping list for the night. So I kind of call on you in no order at all. So people are primed to be listening because you never know where I'm going to call on you. We do speed networking in the Zoom networking call. Some are just breakout rooms. Some are regular go arounds. It's um, amazing. Like, yeah, I try to keep it interesting for me. Really? Yeah. Well, you, <laughs> uh, you made me think of a couple of fun memories. In my 20s, I ran a group that we did a, two activities a month. All co- and Basically, we were willing to try anything. 
And then I, I didn't realize the similarity, but I did, I did a different kind of group in my 30s. It was also a twice a month, we're willing to try anything. We ran that one for 11 years. And, you know, it, it's, it's like, well, all right, that's a good idea. Let's try it. And then sometimes that becomes a hit. Um, but I think the variety also pulls in different kinds of people, people who are attracted to certain activities. They, they don't want a traditional networking event, but they'll go to the theater, which is still networking. They'll, they'll go to the dinner, but they don't want to go to this. It's like, what a great way. And how many people are in the network now? 400 and something, which is not a lot of people, but we've only grown super organically. Seriously, I'm, I, we don't have, one of the things I really thought was very artificial, so back up, we have people, obviously, multiples in all sorts of different categories, right? We have to because we have that many people. Um, and because it's my contention is that one per category group, it doesn't matter to me. You may be the only one, but it doesn't mean I really think that you're at the top of your game or I don't feel like you're going to bond with the person I want to introduce you to. Everybody's a nice guy, but not everybody's right for every job, for sure. Um, we have many opportunities per month for you to showcase yourself. So we have a closed Facebook page. We have a weekly spotlight on that. And we, everybody has an uh, opportunity, monthly spotlight to send out your in, introduction. We don't have, the way we get members are people tell people. So it's not like some random stranger. And now you've got to go through the membership committee. You've got to have, and that was in one of my groups. You had to meet with five people. I, and I remember saying, I don't have time for five people. Are you kidding me? I just don't have time for five people. If these are people who aren't busy then. I don't necessarily want them. I took the model for our group initially. Remember Fast Company Magazine? So Fast Company Magazine had company of friends. And, and it was NYCOF. And I mean, there were company of friends everywhere, every location. Um, I know Boston had. And I became the NYCOF coordinator. David Polinchak is a name a lot of people know. David, I think I took it over from David for whatever reason. And I and we were a very active online community. And I brought it out of that online community. And we had brown bag educational luncheons. And then we started having social get-togethers. And kind of the beginning of the virtual part um, I brought into Adrian's network from Fast Company, and we still have some members from Fast Company NYCOF in Adrian's network today, some really good members. Um, so some people use it just to get their name out there. Um, we've gotten members during this pandemic because people were roaming around Zoom <laughs> looking for something to do. Yeah. Well, I imagine also if you're doing four events a week, you get good at Zoom. Uh, I, I you know, still, you know, was seeing people, you know, for the first like six, eight weeks, a weekly call with their community where it was just like, everyone introduce yourself and say what your update is. And it's like, I can't keep, I can't go back to this because, you know, that that's not it for me. And so I imagine like, if you're going to keep innovating and you're going to keep getting good at the technology and, you know, that's, that's a big piece of it is just the, the number of reps right, that you've committed to. I have a couple other questions as we're yeah. moving on here, Adrian, because I, I want to particularly ask you um, something I always ask my guests, which is around how you, how you think about nurturing and sustaining your larger network. So you have sort of the close, close colleagues and friends that you, you don't have to put a lot of thought into it because you, you know you're going to see them. And when you catch up, you catch up and it's all good. But then you have that like sort of second and third layers out, the people that 
maybe you see annually at a conference or you worked with five years ago, but you really like them. And so how do you think about nurturing and sustaining connections generally with your list? Do you have like, or your community, do you have um, philosophies, habits, practices? The three I's, introductions, invitations, and information. Certainly on a bigger level, a monthly newsletter, and I send it out more than monthly, but which is not self-promotional, but which has kind of an article that um, I write that people would find of interest. So at least it's touch point management. How are you touching people? So I always try to touch people with invitations, information, or um, introduction. So my closer circle, and that could be all 400 people in my networking community and probably hundreds of others, I like to put people together. So I try to make a point of every day connecting at least 10 or 20 people. And I will literally go through my database and say, Robbie should know this person. And this is why, okay? And I will put them together proactively in an email, cyber introduction. It's not going to be war and peace. Sometimes I'll use their LinkedIn profile and I'll send that in the um, email and and I'll bang those out really quickly. Invitations are even easier because we're always getting invitations to things. I mean, now we're not getting invitations to -to face-to-face and in-person events, but we're certainly getting invitations to virtual summits and all sorts of things. So I will copy, as long as it's open, if it's closed, obviously, I can't make a, uh, just send it out. But if someone's running an open event and I think there's a value, whether I'm going or not, I will forward that invitation to whatever number of people and say, hey, this looks like this could be kind of good. I know the speaker or I have great respect for this person. I'm not able to go. I'm, I, I'm committed to something else. However, here's, here it is. Check it out. And information, I, I freely share links to TED Talks that I find um, informational and important to me, links to books, links to articles, links to podcasts, links to this. And, um, and, and I will comment on them so I don't look like one of those, I hate to say it, kind of people who just send a link out and you know they didn't watch it, read it, think about it or anything. You can pin them very quickly. I don't want to be one of those people. Plus, I like to learn things. So if it, you know, I have to watch something for 20 minutes, I have 20 minutes and I'm going to do that. Um, I found I got a lot of really good response to that. There was a TED Talk. There's a book called Quiet the art of like being an introvert or something like that. But I remember the, the, the main title is quiet. And I, and, and I watched the Ted talk on it. I thought, wow, so many of us either are introverts or no introverts or have to lead introverts or are married to introverts. It's a very important book. I sent out the link to hundreds and hundreds of people. And I got hundreds and hundreds of replies from people who said, oh my God, this is really awesome. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so glad you sent this to me, etc. And remember, at, at the end of the day, I'm not necessarily interested in educating the world. It would be very nice, but it's far beyond me. But I am interested in staying visible and relevant. And I want you to never see me as the person, because after I do this once or twice, you're a busy man. Hi, I'm checking in, touching base. You do that with your grandma, you do that with your best friends. You got to add value to the relationship, even when there isn't that tight relationship. So I do it that way. Wow. So good. And the name you were looking for was Susan Cain. The book is Quiet, The Power of Introverts. And that the 
That's the title of her TEDx, uh, her TED Talk is The Power of Introverts. And it's, it's quite good. We'll put a link in the show notes if anyone hasn't had a chance to watch it. But you're right. I mean, um, I do occasionally get these emails probably on like a quarterly-ish basis that are just like checking in messages or I get them on LinkedIn usually. And it's always like, what, what now? Like, what, is, what a response are you asking for, for me? You know, come to think of it, I actually changed my protocol for after I collect business cards. If I know I have a, some sort of follow-up, then I send the email with that request. But if I don't have immediate, this is the thing I'm hoping for us to connect around or get on a call or make an introduction, then I just, the only thing I do is a LinkedIn request because then at least the request basically is say yes to connecting. <laughs> you know, that's the action you're asking them. Because I just thought I'm sending 20 and only three of them have an actual call to action. What am I expecting these other 17 people to do? And then I kind of feel weird because it's like a, like would nothing happen? And they probably think they should be. So I'm like, stop this automating. This is sort of felt so automated. So like, I don't know, like a decade ago, I was like, you know what? We have other ways of, of reaching out and connecting once LinkedIn sort of came along. So I just, I love, so information, invitation and introductions are these three eyes. I love this framework. And that if I love the discipline that you have. So like if you, if folks listening could be a little more disciplined, that's great. But just even every day thinking, let me make sure I'm doing one of those three. I mean, if you just sort of start there, right? Totally. I mean, I, I tend to, once I get into a groove on something, I tend to do it, you know, it's like, yeah. um, so that's why I wind up at that number. But yeah, if you can put in your calendar that you're going to take 20 minutes once a week and do two. Yeah, it's, it's just consistency. Consistency for anything is really what helps you to become good at it, known for it, etc. And make introductions and people, you know, that's our, that's our, how we build our visibility recognition and our business. So make connections, make it freely. Don't expect you're going to get that back. If it comes, awesome. If it doesn't, that's fine too. And then just keep, keep doing it. You know, it's, um, it's, it's just the mindset and, uh, I, it's just built in touch point management is one of the things in sales training that I drill on a lot because can't tell you how many people who are in sales, uh, I'll go through their CRM and there'll be all these like names. They got a very robust database and I'll go into activity what, what happened? You, you met this guy, you, you actually, oh, oh, you had coffee. Oh, you went to lunch. What? Well, and I actually wrote a program called you've had lunch. Now what? Oh um, my gosh. So true. So you, it's like, now what you, you actually invested time. And maybe if you paid money, what did you think was going to happen that at that lunch, they were going to hand you a check or, or, or a, um, a, a signed document? What, what did you expect to happen? How are you, go, especially for types of B2B engagements that have very lengthy sales cycles and they're complex and they're multi-layered, yeah. you, you have to be in it for the long haul. And if you lose sight of it at the beginning, you've lost it totally. So my final wrap-up question, one of my favorites is, if we were reconnecting a year from now, and I'm glad that we will be staying in touch, but if we were sort of checking in a year from now and we're uh, reflecting on all of your successes in the past year, what are we going to be celebrating? What are you looking forward to the most in the coming year? Ah, a vaccine. Um, <laughs> 
I mean, maybe not, but I'm an optimistic person. That's what I'm looking forward to most. I think what I'm, I, I'm going to be very proud of this year was being able to um, create a very, very, create and maintain a really strong community at a time when people were very needy and very scared and very lonely. A lot of people, you know, you, you're living with a wife and two small children. You're a busy man. And I am I live with my husband. I have a, a partner here who I enjoy spending time with, et cetera. There's so many people who are not. And it's a very lonely time, really, really lonely time. And, and being very conscious of that, reaching out to people. So the other thing I'm doing now is reaching out to people who I know are in that being alone situation and um, making sure they they know there there's people around who's thinking about them and 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 there for them regardless of the situation they're finding themselves in. So a year from now, I, being very proud of that, um, hoping that I I've um, continue to grow our network and I have expanded my own um, uh, consulting and training tremendously at this time. So being able to reinvent somebody who only did things in person to only doing things online. That is pretty amazing. I can't wait to celebrate all of that with you a year from now. So tell folks, how can they find you and follow your work? So um, email is amiller at adrianmiller.com. And Adrian is spelled A-D-R-I-A-N. I have to say that because there's three or four ways to spell it. Um, I'm in the process of redoing, I'm using this pause to actually redo the adriansnetwork.com site, but it's still up and running and it's functional. So adriansnetwork.com is great. Um, And adrianmiller.com is is good. I love phone calls um, or text messages, and that's 516-445-1135. I'm very responsive. I, if I don't respond, you need to think that something's wrong because I am very responsive. If you, I don't respond, seriously, I do check my spam. Um, I, I, I do all those things. I believe very much in responsiveness and, and I'm real timely. So something's wrong. Think about how you can get to me. Oh, and you can always get to me on LinkedIn. I'm Adrian Miller. There aren't that many. Adrian Miller in New York, sales trainer. There are a lot of Adrian Millers. One's a soul food cook. Want to be him, but that's not me. Um, Adrian Miller, sales trainer. Connect with me on LinkedIn. So we will have all those links in the show notes, including a link to your book, The Blatant Truth, 50 Ways to Sell Success, uh, your LinkedIn, Twitter, your websites, and adriansnetwork.com. This is fantastic. You'll all find all of that on theschmooze.com. Adrian, thank you so much for joining thank us today. Thank you. Thank you. This has been awesome. It's been so much fun. Thanks a lot. Fantastic. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Adrian. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 205. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as over 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. Do you wish you had more confidence when you're the one presenting via Zoom? 
I'm doing a listening tour right now, and I'm meeting with dozens of presenters who are all keenly interested in upping their Zoom game. If this resonates with you, I'd love to chat for 15, 20 minutes to learn about your experience presenting on Zoom and what you have found challenging. It would be great to get your insight. These calls are helping me design a stronger training program. Send an email to Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com and we'll schedule a Zoom chat. If you enjoyed this episode with Adrian, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so it'll mix next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who has achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.